Betsy, dear. Yes, Kermit. But on the radio. Whatever for? Carl Anderson is on, and I quite like the fellow. Are you attracted to him? Carl Anderson will fight on. Whatever the cause may be, we shall never surrender. Live from a secret location that's not secretive. Carl Anderson. Live from the 680 CJOB studios, here's Hal Anderson. Hello, good afternoon. How's it going, everybody? Wednesday, and we start the show. If you missed it, at the tail end of uh, Jeff Courier's show, bad news. Bad news for the Bombers. We'll find out how bad. But here's the deal. If you're just tuning in and you're wondering, what's going on with Matt Nichols? Bomber quarterback Matt Nichols exited the practice today with an apparent injury. A limping Nichols helped off the field after he fell backward while going back to make a pass. There was no contact on the play, which actually makes me even more nervous about the uh, injury. No word yet on the extent of the injury. And we will talk to Bob Irving here in the next uh, 15 or 20 minutes. All right, but you heard in the news there, in Bob's own words, exactly what happened. And, of course, we've been saying, I've been saying, others have been saying that, really, this is the one area of concern, right? If for some reason Matt Nichols can't play, I mean, Strebel over the other night looked great, right? 10 for 10, young kid, sure. But, boy, you don't want to have to go there uh, if you don't have to. And I guess we'll wait and find out. But Matt Nichols helped off the field non-contact injury, fell backward while going back to make a pass, grabbing at his uh, knee and uh, limping off field with help from others. Yikes. See what happens. And like I said, we'll talk to Bob here in just a bit. Also coming up on the show today, a couple of people that will be speaking, giving talks at the TEDx Winnipeg event. Sparsh Agrawal and Amy Cron. We're going to find out what they're going to be uh, talking about at TEDx Winnipeg. They'll be in studio. I'm excited to meet them. Of course, Carolyn Klassen from Connexus Counseling, who we have on every Thursday from 2.30 to 3, is going to be giving a TEDx Winnipeg talk. And uh, we've got these uh, two coming in. I thought it'd be kind of interesting to, because uh, I think there are... Uh, well, there are several. I think there's uh, way over 10 people giving talks. Uh, Sparsh today, one of the people that will be in studio, is a grade 9 student. He observes nature, specifically ants. Listen to this. He observes ants to create an algorithm that builds an investment portfolio to beat the market by a wide margin. He looks at ants to help you make money. In the financial markets. Grade 9. Sparsh is his name. And he will be here. Amy Cron is a local craftsperson who makes wooden spoons by hand. And I'm told she can tell us more about spoons than anybody else alive. They will be in studio. And, of course, uh, you can also see Carolyn Klassen. Give her TEDx Winnipeg talk. And if you haven't got your tickets yet, I've got a special surprise for you. Stand by. They'll be here after the 1.30 news. All right? Also on the show today, I think we'll talk to them for the whole half hour. We'll see. But I think the whole half hour. After 2 o'clock, Jeff Broati, city councillor. We're going to talk with him about Portage and Maine. Uh, it's moving ahead. And Jeff Broati is not happy about that. So we'll talk to councillor 
Browati after the news at 2 o'clock. At about 2.15, Ryan Garriak is going to be here from Garriak Insurance, and he is also the president of the Insurance Brokers Association of Manitoba. Global News reporter Nikki Judy uh, is out today with the top five reasons for fires in Winnipeg. And so we'll get the insurance side of that story when Ryan Garriak joins us at about 2.15. After the news at 2.30, Jessica Scott-Reed. She's a writer, uh, and she's going to explain to us a term that I saw for the first time the other day, and apparently you may be one and not know it. Reduced-tarian. What is a reduced-tarian? Jessica Scott-Reed will be here after the news at 2.30 to tell us. And I think at about 2.45, 3 o'clock, Kelly Moore is going to join us from over at IGF Live to give us the name and details around our new soccer team. Yes, exciting stuff. All right, so all that and much more on the show here today. Uh, Let me just tell you what today is. Today, uh, June 6th, right? Yeah, June 6th is Atheist Pride Day. Big day, I guess, if you're an atheist. Uh, D-Day, World War II, D-Day today. Uh, Drive-In Movie Day today. There aren't a lot of those around anymore. Drive-In Movie Day. Maybe I'll call down to the Stardust Drive-In in Morden, find out what's playing down there for Drive-In Movie Day. Global Running Day, Eyewear Day, Gardening Exercise Day, Higher Education Day, Taylor's Day, Yo-Yo Day. It's been years since I played with a yo-yo. Are those even still around? Can you get a yo-yo? I think so. And it's Russian Language Day today as well. Let's take our first break. We'll come back here. 110, Hal Anderson on CJOB. All right, 115, quarter after one, stand by. We're going to talk to Bob Irving about Matt Nichols in a bit. Heard himself at practice today. As I mentioned, it is drive-in. Let me just get exactly what it is again. I want to get it right here. It is uh, drive-in movie day. Drive-in movie day. And so I thought, uh, let's call down and uh, let's call down and uh, see what's playing at the Stardust Drive-In Theater in Morden. Calling the Stardust Drive-In Theater. Showing this Friday, Saturday, and Sunday is The Life of the Party, starring Melissa McCarthy as the newly divorced Deanna. Follow her story as she turns regret into reset by going back to college. Unfortunately, she ends up at the same school as her less-than-thrilled daughter. Uh Plunging headlong into the campus experience, the new outspoken student soon begins her journey of self-discovery. This movie is rated PG with a warning for offensive language and runs at 105 minutes. Showtime is dusk, approximately 9.50 p.m., with the gates open an hour earlier. Admission for this single feature is $7 per person, 13 and over. Remember, to keep costs affordable for you, we operate through cash only. Thank you. All right, so there you go. That's what's playing down at the Stardust this weekend, 7 bucks. And uh, kids uh, up to the age of 12 get in free. That's not bad. And the Stardust... Down there in Morden, one of the last drive-ins, really. Is it? I think maybe it is the last drive-in in the province because I know there was one by Killarney that shut down a while back. I think it actually is in Manitoba, uh, the last of the drive-ins. So there you go. If you're looking for something to do, maybe you want to head out there and uh, and do that. 
It is camp day at Tim Hortons today. You've been hearing CGOB personalities at the Tim Hortons today, including uh, Greg Mackling. Greg Mackling out there for uh, camp day at Tim Hortons. It's great. All you got to do is buy coffee. You buy that coffee and uh, you help uh, send kids to camp that otherwise might not get there. Uh, Mackling and McGarry, speaking of the boys, you can catch them here on CGOB 6 to 10 uh, weekday mornings. They had on Justin, the general manager of Camp Whiteshell. That's the uh, that's the camp here in Manitoba. It's one of Tim Horton's camps, and it's here in Manitoba. And Justin talked about it on Mackling and McGarry this morning. So we're located right in Whiteshell Provincial Park, um, just about an hour and a half outside of uh, Winnipeg, um, and uh, right on Sylvia Lake. So we opened in uh, 2015 uh, was uh, when we opened our doors to campers. And since then, we've served about 6,500 campers um, at our location um, and uh, across the foundation. Um, actually, at the end of this summer, uh, we'll have served 257,000 campers wow. um, since 1975 when our first camp opened. That's a lot of kids that normally would not get to go to camp. They were able to go to camp just because you bought a coffee today at Tim Hortons for Camp Day. Here is Justin explaining a bit more about the proceeds from today and where they go, what they're used for. So that helps to send uh, campers both to our summer camp program, but also our year-round school program called the Community Leaders Program um, that bring local students uh, out to camp for a four-day, three-night experience um, at no cost to both the schools um, as well as our summer campers. And one more clip here from Justin, again, telling us about those two different programs that he just mentioned. Um, It's the Youth Leadership Program, which is our summer program, um, and then the Community Leaders Program, which is that uh, school program. Um, And so uh, altogether, we serve about 2,800 campers uh, a year at camp. Um, uh, And uh, working with the Winnipeg School Division, uh, the Manitoba Métis Federation, um, as well as some campers from Northwest Ontario. Um, uh, And uh, we serve about 100 campers that come from uh, Kenora and Dryden, um, so really um, across provincial lines. Again, that's Justin this morning with Backlink and McGarry. He is the GM of Camp Whiteshell. So if you're out and about today and you can swing by a Tim Hortons and grab a coffee, certainly do that because you're helping to send kids to camp today that normally would not get the opportunity. And over the years, I've been at many camp days at Tim Hortons, and they, the kids really uh, do love it and uh, and definitely appreciate it, that's for sure. All kinds of other stuff uh, going on here today. The bear, by the way, Kildare Bear, that's what I'm calling him, Kildare Bear. Uh, he is going to be released into the interlake somewhere today. So the bear is fine. He'll be released into the interlake. And some interesting numbers uh, that uh, came back from sustainable development for Winnipeg and area. Here are the number of bears that have uh, been in the Winnipeg area over the last five years. These are Human black bear interactions. Back in 2013, none. Zero. In 2014, there were eight. That was a big year. 2015, three. 2016, back down to zero. None in 2016. And then last year, there were four. Four human black bear interactions. And then, of course, uh, we've got the the one that uh, just happened and Kildare Bear is going to be fine. He's going to be released today uh, somewhere in the interlake. All right. Uh, we'll get some uh, birthdays out of the way here early on. 
And I got a special birthday song that I'm going to play. Joe Stampley, country singer, 75, Robert England. Uh, he is uh, the guy who plays uh, Freddy Krueger, 71. Oh, by the way, I just heard from Bob Irving. We will not be talking to Bob before 1.30, all right? Uh, Bob's busy because if you're just tuning in, Matt Nichols hurt himself at practice today. I was hoping to get Bob on before 1.30. It'll have to wait until just after 1.30 to get the very latest from Bob on that, all right? Just keeping you updated. Uh, also having a birthday today, Sandra Bernhardt. She is 63. She was actually on the new Roseanne. She played the character Nancy Bartlett on the old Roseanne, and she, I believe, yeah, she was on one of the new episodes as well, but, of course, that shows... Although there's talk that Roseanne may end up on another network without Roseanne. Apparently, other networks are interested in bringing back... How do you bring back a show called Roseanne, but no Roseanne? But apparently, the others are interested, like Sarah Gilbert and uh, John Goodman. So, we'll see what happens with that. Bjorn Borg, pro tennis player, 62 today. Jimmy Jam. Wish I had a name like that. Jimmy Jam. Jimmy Jam is a record producer. He is 59 today. Colin Quinn, very funny guy, SNL, uh, comedian, 59. Paul Giamatti, I like him, 51. Natalie Morales from the Today Show is 46. Uncle Cracker, the singer, 44. And Aubrey Anderson Emmons. You watch that show, Modern Family? Pretty funny show. She plays Lily on uh, Modern Family. Aubrey Anderson Emmons. She is... 11 years old. And in just a minute or two here, I'm going to play a special birthday song to take us to the news at 1.30. All right? So stand by for that. Tough trivia coming up as well today. We're giving you a chance to win uh, Red River X passes and also some Santa Lucia pizza. Do you hear what's happening in Kelowna? This is just weird. Um, listen, rain can be frustrating, Right. But apparently in Kelowna, B.C., feces, feces is falling from the sky instead. Residents are complaining of falling poop, yes, splattering on their cars and property. This apparently happened last month between May 9th and 12th. It's believed an aircraft was responsible for this gross rain. Transport Canada regulations say no person shall create a hazard to persons or property on the surface by dropping an object from an aircraft in flight. Now, probably didn't happen on purpose, but it happened. Uh, and that could mean the airline in question, once they figure it all out, uh, could face a penalty for the poo drop. But could you imagine that I read one story where these people are driving along in their car and uh, they got the sunroof open and, oh, what's that? And here it's poo from a plane, they figure, in Kelowna. Crazy, eh? All right, uh, back to the uh, birthdays here for just a second. I want to play a, a special birthday song because there's one other birthday I did not mention. Gary U.S. Bonds. Remember him? Gary U.S. Bonds is 79. We take you to the news with a bit of the birthday boy. Here you go. Here she comes.
Thank you, TFJ. Just a good, good to have you back in the uh, news chair there, pal. It's nice to be back. After... I missed you. I missed you. Well, thank you, Hal. Appreciate uh, it. Producing for Mackley and McGarry. Do you like the early mornings or do you like these oh, hours better? I prefer these hours yeah. way better. I, I, and here's the thing. It's funny. I was chatting with um, uh, Philly Joe and Randy at, mm. at Power because they were in at a similar yep. time. And right. they were all saying it takes months and months to get used to yeah. it. Let me tell you something. I, I believe, I figured this out yesterday. I believe I just celebrated my 35th anniversary in radio. Wow. And of those 35 years, all but two Morning radio, where I'm getting up at 3.30 or 4. So really? a couple of years early in my career. Well, and now, obviously, I don't get up early. But, yeah, try doing it for 30-some years. I don't think I could. No. I really don't think it, I could. It kills you. It's So I'm glad to have you back, TFJ. We'll talk more a little later on. Sure. Justin Field-Jones back in the news chair here on the show. So uh, TEDx Winnipeg is coming up, and I have a couple of speakers here, and we're going to get to them in just a moment. They are joining us in studio. But first... We've got to talk to Mr. Bob Irving, who joins us on the phone from Bomber Practice over at IGF. Bob, what's going on with uh, Matt Nichols? Well, I wish I had the good news for you, Hal, and I don't know how bad it is, but it's uh, right off the bat, I can tell you it's not good. Uh, toward the end of practice, Nichols was running a, a drill, and he was backpedaling with the football to throw a pass, and he went down in a heap. Uh, you could hear him yell. Uh, he threw his helmet and uh, eventually was helped off the field. Now, he was putting weight on both of his legs, but he was limping as he left the field. And, of course, the Bombers uh, say they they don't – the practice is over. They they don't know yet the extent of the injury, and they're not saying much about it. They, they say he'll see a doctor, obviously, later today, and they'll have a better idea. But uh, I don't know. It doesn't look good. And when you – when you see a player slam his helmet down the way Matt Nichols did, uh, you know, that sort of the indication is that he knows that it wasn't a very good situation. So that's all I can tell you right now. Of all the players the Bombers could ill afford to lose, he was right at the top of the list. So we'll see what uh, what the next few days hold in store in terms of finding out exactly what the problem is. Well, and as I said at the start of the show, when it's a non-contact injury like this, that makes me even more nervous because, well, you just you got to think it's something significant. Yeah, we hear about these non-contact injuries. They become so prevalent, Hal, with ACLs and then the Achilles tendon that. Uh, Mo Leggett tore last year in the most innocent play in the world. And this was an innocent play, one that Matt Nichols has done uh, hundreds of times during training camp. It's a drop back, uh, but something in his leg or his ankle or somewhere went on him. Uh, Maybe it's just a pulled muscle or something. You know, again, I'm speculating. We just don't know. But when a player reacts the way he reacted, that's usually not a good thing. And I don't imagine he would have seen much playing time, if any, in BC. So, I mean, no. you know, it's not like he's he's got to be ready for a game this weekend, right? Well, he wasn't going to BC, but he was going to play eight days from now mm-hmm. against Edmonton right. in the season opener. And uh, so that, uh, you know, that becomes questionable now. Right. You know, Michael Shea's the eternal optimist, and he said, you know, his expectation is that Matt Nichols will play. But he said that without knowing the extent of the injury. So... Again, uh, we'll find out more in the next few days. Again, I don't think the Bombers will say much in the next day or two, but uh, we, uh, you know, Bomber Nation awaits now word of the, the state of Matt Nichols' health. Yeah, and, and just before you go, because as you pointed out, that's the one area where we just did not want to see this happen because 
it's pretty thin after Matt Nichols at quarterback. Well, there's no established vet there. You know, uh, Strebler looked good in the preseason game. Alex Ross was in BC all last year, but in mm. terms of a proven viable commodity, there isn't one there, and we've known that all along. And uh, again, we'll just have to wait and see how this plays out, Hell, Thank you, Bob. Appreciate it. Okay, you bet. Bob Irving over in Bomberland. Uh, we'll wait and see, but it is uh, certainly not looking good. All right, my apologies to the guests that are in studio here. We have joining us now... Uh, a couple of TEDx Winnipeg talkers. They'll be giving uh, their uh, talks at TEDx Winnipeg on June 13th. Sparsh Agrawal and Amy Cron. Guys, nice to meet you. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having us. Yeah, Amy, I'll get to you in your, your spoon carving. And by the way, you brought in a couple for me to look at. Beautiful spoons. And I'm anxious to hear how you got into this. But Sparsh, I got to tell you, uh uh, Carolyn Klassen, who's on our show here regularly on Thursdays, is doing one of the TEDx Winnipeg talks as well. And she was telling me about you one day, and I said, well, i got to find out about this kid. So uh, let me just read what they've told me, and then you obviously have to explain this to me. Uh, you're in grade 9 at Acadia Junior High, and you observe nature, specifically ants, to create an algorithm that builds an investment portfolio to beat the market by a wide margin. Uh, yeah, that's basically uh, it. Uh, I used an algorithm inspired by ants and an algorithm inspired by your brain in order to create a uh, portfolio optimization algorithm. How would you even make that connection? How would you even say, hey, ants might work with me making money on the financial markets? Oh, uh, well, that's really interesting. It actually comes down to this uh, field known as Nature-inspired computing. So basically, uh, it refers to algorithms that have been inspired by nature. And what I used the ants for was uh, ants can sort through lots of objects in nature. So I believe that if I can make them sort through lots of stocks, then I could find out which stocks are similar and diversify my portfolio that way. And it's great to have a theory, but your theory actually works. Yeah. Really? Yeah. uh, I actually tested the entire algorithm Uh, in the years of 2013 to 2016. And in the time the market went up 50%, my algorithm went up 87%. And by looking at beta levels, which are a financial tool to assess risk levels, I found that my portfolio had a much lower risk level. So the algorithm did work. Now, Dad's sitting in the corner here. He must be very proud of you. Uh, He's not by a microphone or otherwise I'd I'd get him on. But um, tell me, Please, that you put money in the markets and used your theory. Well, I've simulated it, but I haven't had the actual money to invest it quite yet. But, yeah, I'm probably going to do that pretty soon. Yeah. And was dad tempted at all to say, hey, kid, here's a thousand bucks. See what you can do. Uh, Yeah. And, I mean, I don't have any money, so I'm going to yeah. use his money to right. invest. But, yeah. Good for you, man. That's that's crazy. And so how did you get interested in this? You're you're in grade nine. Like, how, how did this all come about for you? Uh, well, it's actually a few years ago. So since a young age, uh, I've kind of always been interested in the stock market. I'm not sure exactly why. It might be because it's kind of like a money-making machine yeah. or mm-hmm. uh, I guess it's a really exciting and you kind of own a piece of a company. So I've always been interested in this, but the idea of using math and computer science to basically solve, uh, to, uh, to create an algorithm that came uh, last year. So basically, it comes from hockey, ironically. So uh, in hockey, you may have heard about advanced stats and how they're being used to predict lots of things. Mm-hmm. So 
I thought if in something as random as hockey, if we can use math to predict it, then you can probably use math to predict the market. So last year I created my first algorithm to trade stocks and it worked. And so this year I actually focused on the ant algorithm and uh, other al and another algorithm based on your brain to create this optimization solution. One more question before I uh, start talking to Amy here. And you find that the ants are the best. Uh, have you tried? You said you've tried other things uh, in nature. The ants so far are the best at it. Uh, well, actually, in nature, uh, in the portfolio, it's not just risk but also returns. So I use other algorithms to predict uh, the returns and the ants for the risk part. But uh, the ants did work uh, fairly well. Interesting. Wow. Okay, we're going to keep talking. Amy, I want to talk to you about your spoons. How did you get uh, into carving spoons, of all things? Well, I have whittled since I was pretty young. My parents gave me a jackknife when I was a kid because that's what you do in the country. You yeah, give your kids sure, I had one too as a kid. Yeah, yeah exactly. So I whittled lots of little things then. Uh, I took a detour, was a hairstylist for a while, and now I'm a woodworker full-time and I participate in markets. So I was carving uh, just little embellishments onto serving boards that I was doing just to see if I could add value and get away with doing something I loved. And people kept talking to me about spoons. Oh, you, you should be carving spoons. And I just was, I kind of dismissed it until the shop, the power supply kept failing. So I couldn't make the serving boards I wanted to make. So I thought, yeah, I need to prepare for a market. I, I'll make spoons. Hmm. So I, I put, after I finished some spoons i posted photos on uh, instagram and people went crazy for it so and do you yeah. need anything special to uh to carve these or or as simple as a jackknife um i use a gouge i use actually a number of different gouges so it depends on like how deep of a bowl i'm gonna do i do such a spectrum of spoons i very rarely will do a batch of like the exact same spoons but yeah i like to i like to do a lot of different varieties so gouge and then i go to the bandsaw and then a uh, belt sander I use for mm. a lot of it. And then I guess a gouge, that's how you'd make these little dimples in the in the spoon, I guess, Yeah, eh? Yeah, that's how I hollow out the bowl of it. Mm -hmm. And then obviously different uh, prices and, and values. Like what what are these spoons, these two spoons here worth? Um, probably $50 and $60. Yeah, yeah. they're beautiful. Thank you. They're and I'm sure you sell a ton of them, eh? Yeah. 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 And why is it spoons, do you think? Why have people got this fascination with spoons? I understand why you went to spoons, but why do you think people are we're always talking to you about spoons? One thing that I've noticed the most when I when I have spoons is that people always want to tell me a story of their mom, and a lot of the time it relates to spankings. Ah. And their mom's beating them with a spoon, but it's always said while they're laughing. It's never said. Right. Yeah. Yes, so, absolutely. So there's some sort of nostalgia for them. And they're also easier on a lot of pots and pans because they won't scratch anything and they don't uh, transfer heat either. Yeah. So when you're stirring something, it's not like a utensil that's made out of metal. Mm -hmm. Listen, stick around, guys. Amy and uh, Sparse, we're going to keep talking to you guys. We've got to take a break here. Uh, coming up on quarter to two, one forty-four. Let me just uh, tell you this, that apparently there are still a few tickets left for the TEDx Winnipeg uh, event, which is coming up on June 13th. So that's one week from today. If you want tickets, go to TEDxWinnipeg.ca, TEDxWinnipeg.ca. And everybody over at TEDx Winnipeg has put a special code in place. So if you heard about the code here, you can get $10 off. Just go to the website and the code is CJOBHAL. 
C-J-O-B-H-A-L. Get you $10 off one week from today, June 13th, TEDx Winnipeg. The website again, TEDxWinnipeg.ca. We'll keep talking to Amy and Sparsh. It's Hal on C-J-O-B. All right, 149, just about 10 to 2. News coming up at 2 o'clock. If you're just tuning in, big story today in the world of sports, Bomberland, Matt Nichols went down in practice. He had to help him off the heat, off the field. It was a non-contact uh, injury, and so we're all nervous. We're waiting to find out what happens with that. On the show, uh, joining me in studio now, Sparsh Agrawal. He is a grade 9 student at Acadia, and Amy Cron is here. They are both going to be speaking at the TEDx Winnipeg event, which is coming up one week from today, June 13th. If you want tickets, there are a few available, tedxwinnipeg.ca, and if you use the code CJOBHAL, you get $10 off. So, um, uh, you're a grade nine student using a nature-inspired algorithm for investing. You carve spoons. Some of the other talks, Carolyn Klassen, who's here every Thursday uh, from Connexus Counseling, is going to be giving a TEDx talk as well. They also have, uh, here are just some other uh, speakers, a VR entrepreneur on how avatars are changing our identity. There's also an educator in social work on the changing conversation about feminism, a mediation specialist on escaping riptides and preserving relationships, and then a bunch of other talks. I think 10 other talks, something like that. So it's a big day. Again, that's a week from today, June 13th, TEDxWinnipeg.ca. CJOB Hal is the code to get $10 off. All right, back to our guests here. Amy, I, w- I want to ask you about the spoon. I noticed that in looking at your spoons here that you gave me to look at, there's a D on the bottom of one. Why, why is that there? Uh, that's a spoon that I have now decided it needs to be an apology spoon for a friend who I twice now have ca- not even canceled but for completely forgotten about our hangout that we planned because ah. I was Im- immersed in my carving. So mm-hmm. the fact that I wasted his time, I'm giving him the symbol of my time with this spoon. Very nice. So it's a it's a it's a gift. Uh, sorry, I yeah. I forgot about exactly. our, our hangout. Yeah. And, and now you're so you're going to get up and and speak for how long? My talk is about 13 minutes. And you will talk about the spoons that you carve, but will you go into the history and talk about spoons and why they're important to you? And Yeah, I start out by talking about the history of spoons because spoons were the first known eating utensil that we had. Like, yes, of course, we had spears and knives to cut up the meat, but when we started to cook our food, then we needed utensils, and they, they pretty predate forks by thousands of years. Really, so eh? yeah, especially mm. for for more like soupy type mixtures, so. Yeah. And actually spoon the word um the origin of the word means chip or shaving of wood. Hmm, interesting. And Sparsh, uh he is the one who's been watching ants and other things in nature to create this algorithm that builds an investment portfolio. And you can beat the market. You're doing better than the market. Uh, you haven't really invested any cash yet. I, of course, uh, you know me. I like money. And I said, hey, how much money would it take? And you were explaining to me that basically the algorithm takes, well, you explain it. Ten sto- It takes 100 stocks and then sort of picks 10. Uh, yeah. So basically there's an index called the Standard & Poor 100. And there are 100 stocks that basically best represent the market. So of these 100 stocks, the algorithm will then uh, basically run on it and pick 10 stocks to create the portfolio. And it also take these 10 stocks and decide how much of the portfolio every single stock will take. Because, for example, if you have 10 stocks 
Some may be 20%, others may be 5%, yeah. uh, et cetera, et cetera. So basically, that's what the uh, algorithm does. Wow. And so algorithms, I'm sure this wasn't your first and it won't be your last. Like what other algorithm uh, algorithms are you working on? Uh, so basically, uh, to start off with, in grade eight, when I did my first stock project, I created an algorithm based off existing stock uh, indicators. So basically, they're simple mathematical calculations that kind of tell you how well a stock is doing. They measure various things about the stock. And so basically, by combining these different uh, functions, I created uh, my first trading algorithm. But the problem with this algorithm was is that it couldn't give you a full portfolio because mm. Uh, for the average person, you can't use an, these kinds of trading algorithms because they do really high-frequency trading. Mm -hmm. And that's not something that someone who uh, wants to invest in their retirement right. is looking for. Mm -hmm. So this year, I created the uh, nature-inspired algorithm, and this gives you a portfolio optimization solution. So it's a lot more effective for the average person. You know, I just want to write you a big check. I really I really do. I just want to give you a bunch of money and just give it. Go, call me when it's doubled. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was talking to your dad during the break here, and your dad uh, says that, well, before I give him a bunch of money, I kind of want to put it to a test. But you're 100% confident that this will work. Yeah, I'm pretty confident it would work. But, yeah, you can always test it on future data before you want to put your actual money into it. Now, you're going to get up and speak for how long? Uh, my talk's about 10 minutes. About 10 minutes. And are you prepared for – because I, here's what I predict is going to happen – you're going to give your speech, and then there will be people who will come to you and say, how much money do you need? Let's put it to a test. Are you prepared to do that at, you know, grade nine? How, how old are you? Uh, right now I'm 15. I turned 15. Yeah. Would you do that if somebody came to you and said, here's some money, let's let's play around a bit? Oh, uh, well, I mean, there are a few com <laughs> complications in that, namely yeah. legal things. But <laughs> right, yes. But after getting through that, uh, sure, I'd love to set yeah. something up and actually be able to use this algorithm to yeah. invest in. Well, hey, listen, Sparsh, it's great to meet you. And Amy, really nice to meet you. Beautiful work. And I look forward to checking out your website more closely uh, so that I can take a look at, at some of the stuff that uh, uh, you make. If anybody wants more information on them, you can email me, hal at cglb.com, 204-780-6868. Or if you want, go to the TEDx Winnipeg event, which is one week from today. Again, tickets at tedxwinnipeg.ca. And you can save $10 on the few tickets that remain by using the code CJOBHAL. That's C-J-O-B-H-A-L, $10 off. Sparsh, Amy, thank you very much. Enjoy your TEDx talk. Thank, thank you. you for, really thank appreciate you. you coming in. Thanks a lot. Good luck. All right, we got a break. Two o'clock news is coming up. Hal Anderson on CJOB. Thank you very much. Tristan Field Jones. He'll be back at 2.30 with more news for you. Uh, we're going to hear from Jeff Berwati in a bit as well on Portage and Maine. He is just out and out against it. He doesn't like the idea at all. And we'll let you know what he is suggesting uh, City Hall do now. And a question that Jeff Courier was asking on his show this morning, could the opening of Portage in Maine be a big election issue? Global News reporter Christian O'Mell has more now as we get the first glimpse into when pedestrians 
could be crossing. The first lake to open would be the easternmost one, running from the Richardson Plaza to the Bank of Montreal. This info found inside a request for proposal issued by the city, looking for consultants to come up with a plan for urban design and a detailed plan to take down all the barriers. Opening Portageamain was a big part of Brian Bowman's platform four years ago, and this info comes out less than five months before the next election. But Bowman says this process is methodical and in no way political. If I was thinking politically about this issue during this term, I would have pushed harder to have it open to pedestrians sooner. But the responsible thing to do in listening to the feedback of my council colleagues in the community is to take a phased-in approach. The leader of the anti-open Portageamain movement is Councillor Jeff Rawadi, who wants to vote on whether this RFP should be cancelled because it doesn't address the crumbling underground. Any plan would need council approval, and of course council could have a much different look after October is through. Christian O'Mell, Global News. Thank you, Christian. Like I said, we'll talk to Jeff Broati about this in a moment. You heard uh, Christian mention at the end there what Broati would like to see done. I had a bunch of calls out today about Portage and Maine, and actually during the news with TFJ at 2 o'clock, I got a call back and joining us on the phone now, an urban studies professor, University of Winnipeg, Gino DeStazio. Gino, thanks for calling back and your timing is impeccable. I can get you on right now to talk about this. Great. Excellent. Um, So Portage in Maine, uh, I've uh, seen lots of articles uh, where you've been quoted. What do you think we should be doing at, uh, at Portage in Maine? Well, it's one of these issues that's been rattling around for decades. In fact, as soon as we closed that corner, I think we began to talk about how do we reopen it. I think the approach right now that's being proposed, the phased-in idea, is probably good for Winnipeggers to get used to the corner opening slowly as opposed to just simply uh, leveling all the concrete and letting, uh, letting people just run about. So I think we're taking the right path. I think a lot of people are concerned that we're taking too long or spending too much and certainly that it's becoming, uh, again, again, another election issue. That that will be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, it really will be. I know that when the issue comes up, I hear from listeners uh, on this. They don't like the fact that the money, and again, in the big picture, it's not like it's a ton of money, but it's millions. And people hear that, and they always have an idea where that money should be spent, not necessarily opening up Portage and Maine. So I really feel like this could become a big election issue and as you said we'll we'll wait and see you said that soon after we blocked off portage in maine people started talking about opening it up should we have left it open to begin with well i think you know at the time we closed it because of safety concerns and we felt that moving uh, vehicles was uh, more of an important part of, of building a healthy downtown we've since changed our view on that and know that pedestrian movement and and walkability and and certainly for the corner, you know, one of the real things here is accessibility. That if, if you're a person that has some mobility issues, coming and going around that corner can be really, really difficult and tricky. Not that removing barriers makes the city more accessible, but it certainly makes that corner more approachable for a lot more people who are now currently either shut out completely or really face a long, arduous uh, set of, uh, of turns and ups and downs to make it from one side of the street to the other. That should be a heck of a lot more efficient than, than what we have now. You know, I had the mayor of Saskatoon on this show a while ago, and uh, he talked about the importance of opening up intersections like Portage and Maine. We're certainly seeing this uh, in other cities You've uh, you've been around Winnipeg for a while, and and you're in the area of urban studies, as I said. What is it about Winnipeg and Winnipeggers? We sometimes just uh, we're slow to the party, aren't we? 
I think so. But, you know, in this case, it's been a bit more of a challenge, right? We, we've somehow just allowed it to become a really long-standing issue that just seems to have a, a simple solution, either take the barricades down or don't. But we've really wrestled with it for some reason, and it sort of comes in, in peaks, you know, whether it's pre-election peaks or just every few years over the last, you know, I've been a bit more active over, say, the last 20, and it seems like every, you know, five years, I'll say, we, we get this peak of, of people wanting to do something. But I think right now we're at the point where we know we need to improve the flow and we know we need to manage that both with pedestrian safety and crossing that street and managing uh, vehicle and buses and everybody that comes and goes in that corner. We want to make it attractive to people coming downtown for whether it's hockey or finance or fun and also efficient for people to come and go. So that, that's going to be the balancing act, right? Ultimately, we want to create a safe, inviting corner that any city in the world, their, their famous intersection, is a lot more open and accessible than our uh, Portage and Maine is. Gino, I hope we can talk about this again soon. Thank you very much. Thank you. Gino D'Astasio, he is in urban studies, urban studies professor at the University of Winnipeg. So I know usually you want to talk about Portage and Maine. When it comes up, usually you want to uh, weigh in, 204-780-6868, hal at cjob.com. What do you think? He says, probably this is the right approach. And he likes the idea, uh, Gino D'Astasio does, of easing into it, not just knocking everything down and opening it wide open real fast. Phase it in. Let people get used to the idea. But he thinks we need to definitely head toward opening it up, making it more pedestrian-friendly. And you heard Christian O'Mell's report, and you will hear from Councillor Jeff Berwati on this a little later on. 211, we'll take a break, and we will come back and talk about fires, the top five causes of fires in Winnipeg, and we'll talk to uh, somebody from the insurance industry, Ryan Garrick. He is with uh, Garrick Insurance and the Insurance Bureau's, uh, Bureau Association of Manitoba Fires and Insurance, next on Hal Anderson Afternoons. All right, so Global News reporter Nikki Judy got the top five causes of fires in Winnipeg for us. Here she is. We spoke with firefighters to find out what those top five causes are in the city of Winnipeg, and some of them might shock you. Um, They include dryers, extension cords, cigarettes, cooking oil, and arson. I know when I heard extension cords, that one kind of raised my eyebrow because I was like, oh, crap. I use an extension cord every single day. And let me tell you, after I spoke with firefighters, I unplugged. All right. So some of those are pretty straightforward. Uh, the extension cord one, you may want to know more about, as uh, Nikki mentioned, it sort of surprised her and, and it made her sort of think about that a bit. Uh, here is Nikki explaining why extension cords can be an issue. So apparently, and I'm guilty of this, and I'm sure a lot of people are, a lot of people are using extension cords as a permanent source of electricity, which is a big no-no, according to firefighters. Not only are they using it as a permanent source of electricity, they're also overloading them. And now a lot of people in their homes also try to, you know, hide those cords from extension cords by covering them up with a rug, putting them in the cupboard, or even putting them underneath their couch. And firefighters say, you know, all of that can cause a fire because if something were to spark on that extension cord, you've now, you know, attached it to a combustible material like a couch or a rug. 
Global News reporter Nikki Judy on the top causes of fires in Winnipeg. Let's get the insurance angle on this. Ryan Garriak, Garriak Insurance, and he is also on the executive at the Insurance Bureau, uh, Insurance Brokers Association of Manitoba. Ryan, good afternoon. Thanks for taking some time with me here. Good afternoon. My pleasure. Yeah. So what are some things uh, we need to know from the insurance side of things when it comes to protection from fire? Yeah, it's um, it's a it's a broad uh, spectrum of knowledge that's needed to uh, um, sort uh, fires to the home to the home. But uh, insurance policies, uh, the fundamental coverage for insurance policies for your home is fire. So um, you can uh, almost always be rest assured that you'd be you'd have coverage for that. But it's a combination of uh, prudent care of your home. Uh, it could be um, a home inspection or electrical inspection. Um, uh, there's many different steps that you can take to uh, minimize that risk. You know, fire extinguishers are a great example. There's a lot of homes that don't have fire extinguishers. And are there things that a homeowner can do to uh, lower the cost of insurance? Or in this case, we're talking about fire insurance, lower the cost of insurance. Like, for example, I know that my insurance costs me more because I'm, I live just outside the perimeter and I'm further away uh, from a, a water source. So I, I pay a little more insurance. Are there some things like that that homeowners need to keep in mind? Yeah, um, there isn't a whole bunch that can uh, because insu- the, because fire is that fundamental coverage. Um, really, policies are um, already built into it, into covering that. You know, one thing you could do is put in sprinklers, but that's not uh, uh, that doesn't make a lot of sense for pretty much any homes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, your uh, Proximity to a fire hall, fire hydrants, that definitely plays a part with uh, your rates. But again, that's that you uh, can't really control. Um, There's not a whole bunch that you can do with uh, changing your premium with regards to fire. Just kind of it it is what it is, I guess. eh? It is. um, But uh, what we do like to educate uh, our clients on is uh, periodically doing a video inventory of your home. The problem with uh, the problem with a fire claim is that it's so difficult for our clients to um, remember what they have in their house after a fire. So literally, what happens is that there's a fire that happens. Uh, uh, clients come into our office, and we give them a piece of paper and a pen, and we tell them write down everything that was in your kitchen and living room and dining room. Um, it's uh, impossible for people to remember all those things. So. Uh, periodically, every uh, couple of years, just going through uh, your home, doing a video inventory, opening your drawers, uh, looking in there just for a split second so that, and then keeping that tape off-site so that if there ever is a fire, then we can help make sure that that person's put back in that same financial position before the loss. Yeah, that's a good idea because, uh, first of all, trying to remember what you had, and then that also is proof, if heaven forbid you do have a fire, then you've got video proof that it was a high-end item and you can then, you know, get proper value on it, right? Absolutely. And even with things like TVs or something, you can just take your uh, video camera to go look at the back of the TV so you can see the make model or something like that. And when you're doing the video inventory, you can just go around your house. You know, I bought this microwave 
uh, three weeks ago, or this TV was the best TV at the time. Or mm-hmm. um, so it, it really it's a tool that helps the client in case of uh, something like that, in case of a fire. Yeah. Hey, Nikki Judy was talking about uh, extension cords, right? And and uh, talking about the the top five reasons for fires. Uh, in Winnipeg, if somebody's using an extension cord like that and there is a fire and it's determined that that's the cause, is that person's fire insurance still good or could uh, the argument be made that the fire was caused by you and therefore you're not covered? Uh, If the person was negligent and knew that uh, there was uh, a possibility of uh, something bad going on, there could be there could be ramifications, but uh, typically uh, you would have, you'd have coverage for something like that. Um, we have seen fires caused by every single thing that could go wrong uh, in a home. Uh, and electrical fires are, is definitely one of our most prevalent uh, sources of uh, fires. And it's, it's making sure that your, um, your electrical system in your house is, is working properly uh, you know, the uh, if your house has a fuse system and aluminum wires, uh, that is uh, not within code now. And uh, I would suggest anybody to uh, that has those to upgrade to a circuit breaker panel and uh, copper wires and just being cognizant of the load limits uh, that you can put on your system to make sure that they're, they, you don't have electrical fires. Well, Ryan, I really appreciate your time. Thanks a lot for your help today. My pleasure. All the best. Ryan Garriak from Garriak Insurance, and he is also on the executive at the Insurance Brokers Association of Manitoba. Fires, they can be devastating, deadly, uh, really important that we uh, take a few minutes to check the house and make sure that we're not at risk for it, and then make sure you've got the coverage, and as Ryan suggested, uh, do that uh, video um, of everything you've got in your house. And then if there is a problem, you can say, here's the video, and make sure you get value, uh, the proper value, for the things that you lose uh, in that fire. Hope it never happens to you. Um, a few years ago at the lake, I had a fire right next door to me, deadly fire, uh, killed a, a gentleman. And I'm telling you, that's one of the scariest things I have ever been through. And it wasn't my fire. It was a fire right next to me and trying to get people uh, to safety from cottages uh, nearby. It was just uh, horrible. And uh, so, yeah, take a minute now to try and do everything you can to prevent uh, anything like that from happening. So thanks to Nikki Judy, one of our global news reporters, uh, for the top five reasons, causes of fires in Winnipeg. We're going to break here in a bit for the news at 2.30. After the news, Jessica Scott-Reed joins us. What is a reducetarian? You might be a reducetarian and not even know it. It's possible. We'll find out what that is with Jessica after the news at 2.30. And also after 2.30, Kelly Moore is going to join us. And he's going to tell us the name of Winnipeg's new soccer team. We found out about this yesterday, Winnipeg's uh, getting a team, and actually probably as we speak, any minute now, they will be announcing details of the Winnipeg soccer team. And Kelly Moore is going to join us and tell us all about that, probably at around quarter to three. All right, so make sure you stick around for that. 
Uh, Jeff Barawati, we're going to talk with him about Portage and Maine, and you can weigh in on that subject if you want. 204-780-6868. Hal at cjob.com. For example, here's one text I just got. Hal, regarding Portage and Maine, they should just go over it. A four-season overpass makes the most sense. There you go. That's certainly an idea. That reminds me of Vegas. You see a lot of that down in uh, in Vegas where you go over instead of across. So keep your thoughts coming. 204-780-6868. Hal at cjob.com. Oh, and by the way, uh, don't forget Mackling and McGarry Friday morning giving away those bomber season tickets. Every day there's a new word that you have to text in. Today it's bombers. If you text in the word bombers, just bombers, nothing else, no uh, emojis, no LOLs, no nothing, just bombers, 204-780-6868. You will be in to win those bomber season tickets Friday morning with Mackling and McGarry. All right, stand by. The news at 2.30 is next. Hal on CJOB. Thank you, T. Uh, thank you, TFJ. Appreciate it. Uh, 232. Uh, Tristan, let me ask you a question. Do you know what a, redu- uh, a reduced terrian is? Pardon me? A reduced terrian. Do you know what that is? N- no. Me neither. Uh, well, I do now, but I didn't okay. know the other day when I read it for the first time. And so let me read the story, uh, and I'll get to our guest here in a second. Let me read the story that I read the other day, and I went, what? I saw the headline, said reduced terrian. Um, there are all kinds, this is uh, from The Guardian, a story from The Guardian. There are all kinds of labels for people who follow different diets, like vegetarians and vegans. But one that you may not have heard of is Reducetarian, even though there's a good chance you may be one and may not even know it. A a Reducetarian, it's hard to say that. A Reducetarian is someone who wants to help the planet by giving up meat and dairy, but also likes eating them too much to give them up entirely. So... They just try to cut down. And here to talk about it with us is uh, Jessica Scott-Reed. She is a writer and also an animal advocate. Jessica, nice to meet you on the phone. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, Reducetarian. Um, that's new. How new is that? I think it's I think it's fairly new. I think maybe in the last five years when uh, this new cultural shift towards uh, giving up meat and dairy and, and animal products started. I think this became part of that movement. Hmm. And uh, probably, listen, I would probably even be a reducetarian, I think, because I definitely, I don't know if I'm trying to eat less uh, red meat, for example, but I definitely eat less than I used to. And, and I think you are part of the majority nowadays. I think um, the, all that we're hearing, about uh, the way that animal agriculture is impacting the environment. All we're learning about uh, meat products and it's their effect on our health. And also all that we're learning about animal sentience and how much animals do in fact suffer. I think the fact that this is all becoming really widespread knowledge now, everybody's becoming a reducitarian. Let me go on to read the rest of the story from The Guardian here, and it kind of goes to what we just said. A study found about 40% of British people are trying to reduce the amount of meat they eat, and about half of them are called subconscious reducetarians. They don't even realize they're doing it. Since there are so many reducetarians, it seems we slowly are taking in all the messages we constantly get about eating healthier. So we keep hearing it day after day after day, and then we slowly start to do it. 
Yeah, and that's how cultural shifts happen, and, and diets are a big part of those cultural shifts. We see it even in the Canadian Food Guide. That's about to change. There's going to be a lot more focus on, on plant proteins, on uh, fruits and vegetables, uh, and even taking dairy out as its own food group. So, I mean, even from our own government agencies, along with, of course, the trends and the pop culture, we are getting inundated now with this message that eating animal products is not good. Are, are people eating less animal products because they don't want to see animals harmed or are they doing it because they know it's better for them? I think that's where um, the increase in this movement towards vegetarianism, veganism stems from is the fact that now we have kind of a threefold reasoning. Now it's not only about the animals, for a lot of people of course it is, but you know humans were also very selfish and so once we're told that this is actually about our health, it actually brings more people on board. And then of course there's people who are doing it for the environment. So now that we have these three huge reasons to give up animal products, it seems there's a lot more people jumping on board, even if just a little bit. A lot of people aren't uh, uh, that aren't vegetarians or vegans will often say that the vegetarians or vegans they know are are pushy about it. Almost almost like it's a religion, you know, and you're trying to push your religion on me. I don't find that because I know a few vegetarians and vegans and I don't find they're like that at all. But do you hear that a lot because I hear others say that? Yeah, it's it's a stereotype. Uh, it's something that's been going on since, I think, the beginning of veganism. Everybody equates us with the, the crazy paint-throwing, meat-is-murder-screaming PETA activists, when, in fact, there's a whole bunch of us. You know, there's a lot of, of vegans that you don't even know they're vegan. We don't all actually talk about it. I do, but not everybody does. <laughs> yeah. it's, 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 a, it's just a stereotype. Yeah. Hey, I really enjoyed this, Jessica. Hopefully we can stay in touch. And uh, there are all kinds of stories like this. And, and if I don't know, I'd love to come to you. For sure. Please do. Yeah, appreciate it. You got a website or anything people can check out? Yeah, my Facebook page. I have a group where I share all my writing about uh, vegan issues and animal rights issues. Uh, you can find me, Jessica Scott Reed, uh, advocate and writer. Jessica, really appreciate your help. Thanks a lot. Thanks so much. All right. Yeah. Reduce Tarion. I think I'm a Rudoustarian, and I think a lot of other people probably are too and probably don't even know it or realize it. But I think a lot of people are uh, trying to eat less animals and less animal products. Rudoustarian. There, we learned something today here on Hal Anderson Afternoons. It's 2.38. We're going to go to Kelly Moore live on the name of the new soccer team in town and other details around the team. But before we do that, let's give away some Red River X passes and some Santa Lucia pizza. 204-780-6868. 204-780-6868. If you can answer today's tough trivia question, you get the Red River X passes and the Santa Lucia pizza. All right. What do 45% of us say was the hardest thing they ever attempted to do? Almost half of us, 45% of us, of adults, say this was the hardest thing they ever attempted to do. What could that be? Hardest thing ever. 204-780-6868. 204-780-6868. Oh, and by the way, this just in. Melania Trump has appeared in public for the first time in almost a month, <laughs> in case you care. Uh, a lot of talk about where Melania Trump has been. She's okay. Uh, 204-780-6868, just giving you a bit of news there while we fill up the phone lines. 
What do 45% of adults say was the hardest thing they ever attempted to do? Let's see if we can get an answer. Have you got a guess? Yeah, go to work. <laughs> yes, I hear you. Not the answer we're looking for, though. Hi, CGOB. Quit smoking. Quit smoking. That's a good one, but not the correct answer. That was the first thing that came to my mind, too, but not what we're looking for. No. Uh, 45% of adults say it's the hardest thing they ever attempted to do. Hello, have you got a guess? Uh, paddle a canoe. <laughs> paddle a canoe. <laughs> kind of a random answer, but not what we're looking for. Hi, CJOB. Hi there. Hi. Uh, was it save some money? That's tough. That is tough. Yeah, but not what we're looking for. Sorry about that. Hello, CJOB. Hi, I Hi. have an answer. Yes. I'm going to try swearing. 45% of adults say the hardest thing they ever attempted to do, stop swearing. Hooray. Yes, I th- was worried you were going to... In celebration there, blurt out yeah. a, a bad word, but good for a you. bad word, no, yeah. I didn't. What is your name? My name is Trista. Trista, you've got the Red River X passes, and you're going to enjoy some Santa Lucia pizza. Oh, isn't that great? Thank mm, you, Hal. Thank you. I'll put you on hold. We'll get you all signed up. We'll take a break here, and when we come back, we're going to find out the name of Winnipeg's new soccer team and other details surrounding that team with our Kelly Moore, CGOB Sports Director Kelly Moore, after a break. 240, 20 to 3, CJOB. 245, quarter to 3, news coming up at uh, 3 o'clock, of course. And we're going to talk to Jeff Broati in a second. But first of all, CGOB Sports Director Kelly Moore, who is over at IGF Investors Group Field, getting details on the city's new soccer team. Kelly, what are they going to be called? Well, Hal, as we were reporting earlier today, and this, this kind of slipped out on social media a couple of days ago, uh, but it will be known as Valor FC, and of course that goes back to Valor Road and uh, uh, is certainly commemorates our brave servicemen and women. Uh, so Valor FC will be the name. The team colors will be Valor Maroon, Earth Black, and Prairie Wheat. They will play out of the Canadian Premier League, which is going to be the top development league of soccer in Canada. Not to be confused with Major League Soccer. That's in Vancouver, Toronto, and Montreal, so they won't compete in any of those centers, but there'll be anywhere between six to eight teams that will start competing next April in 2019. We're expecting there'll be some Prairie rivalries in Calgary and Edmonton, possibly Saskatchewan down the road, but Calgary and Edmonton at least to start 14 team or 14 game schedule rather so seven home and seven away uh, but what they have announced so far how what we do know is that the new the fifth professional sports team here in Winnipeg will be known as Valor FC and just a great turnout on a beautiful sunny afternoon here at Investors Group Field so the soccer community really embracing this. Well and listen um, the tickets are going to be affordable it's going to be great family entertainment so all those kids that take part in soccer will now have uh, professional games to go to they'll be able to say that I want to do that one day and that's why I'm playing soccer now as a as a young person and uh this really is a no-brainer so many people playing soccer it just makes sense right 
Oh, it sure does. So there's a groundswell of support for the game right now. Wade Miller, the president and CEO of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, Winnipeg Football Club, was just up moments ago talking about how much excitement there was in the city for the FIFA 2015 Women's World Games here. And, of course, Canada uh, played the United States in a friendly here that drew about 28,000 fans. Uh, Wade Miller just coming back to the podium now. But uh, we'll uh, probably find out more details on ticket pricing, Hal. But I know earlier today we had the league president, uh, Paul Byrne, on, and he was suggesting that it was going to be somewhere in the $25 range for an average price uh, between $15 and $40 for tickets. All right, thank Thank you, Kelly. Kelly Moore over at uh, IGF. Valor FC. Valor FC. Valor Football Club. That's what the soccer team in Winnipeg is going to be called. So now we got football. we got hockey. we got uh, baseball, the gold ice. We've got uh, soccer and, I guess, basketball. Could we maybe go back to having a basketball team one day? I guess we'll see. We'll see what happens with that. All right, I've been promising you that we would get uh, Jeff Rawati on Councillor Jeff Rawati to talk about Portage and Maine, and he joins us on the phone right now. Good afternoon, Jeff. Good afternoon, Hal. Thank you for doing this. First of all, Portage and Maine, what would you like to see, a vote by the rest of council on this? Yeah, I mean, we were supposed to get some more information. Back when uh, council had a vote back last October, We'd ask the public service uh, to bring forward information on the actual pedestrian above street openings. Uh, what would the impact be to transit? What would the impact be to traffic? And uh, what would it cost? They were supposed to do some basic information and get back to us. Uh, what they're proposing now to do is to spend $1.5 million on uh, some fairly elaborate plans, and uh, that was not what we were expecting. Why does it seem like this is being rushed? Well, again, I don't know if this is the mayor's agenda, um, I think it is being rushed. I don't think Winnipeggers are there yet. Uh, we do own some underground assets. There was that vote uh, last October. Uh, there's leaks in the roof and stuff. There was uh, $2.5 million to do that work. Why we're spending this extra money now to, to do another study, I really don't know. And where do you think council will come down on this? How many votes do you think you've got? Other people on council concerned as you are? Well, again, the original report from the public service that was supposed to come to council in October was supposed to just uh, spend this money to do the plans to do the eventual opening. At EPC, that's the mayor's inner circle, they added an extra clause to have a public service report, not a consultant report, but a public service report on what it was going to take to get this done, uh, just so that we had another chance uh, before it you know, went any further uh, to have another council visit of it. It sounds like uh, the public service is taking another path now, and there's uh, big cost implications to do that, so we need to stop this right now. Is Portage and Maine potentially the election issue, do you think, Jeff? Well, I think in some cases it could come down to that. I mean, it is, a, I think in some ways, a referendum on, on the mayor's uh, agenda. Uh, I mean, there's 88,000 vehicles daily that go through that intersection. Clearly over 100,000 people who include multiple passenger vehicles, buses and stuff. This impacts a lot of Winnipeggers. Uh, that extra delay for pedestrians through that intersection it's going to add minutes to everybody's commute to add that up many, you know, hundred times, hundreds of times a year, so, you know, twice a day in many cases. Uh, I think people, you know, local politics matters. And this is, uh, this is uh, the top of local politics. And are you against Portage and Maine opening it up uh, completely, or you just want more information before we start making decisions? I'm completely against it, Hal. Uh, it's not started with me at all. Uh, I just uh, don't see the value in it. I mean, we do have a great separation that's underground. It could be made better. It could be made more accessible for people uh, with disabilities, people in wheelchairs. But again, uh, opening it to pedestrians, it's just too busy. If we were building the city from scratch, we wouldn't build it with an intersection that handles that much traffic. 
uh, we build you know a freeway. But again, we have what we have, and uh, opening it to, to to pedestrians doesn't make sense. Thank you, Jeff. Appreciate your time. Thank you, Hal. Councillor Jeff Broadi on Portage and Main. And uh, let's go to the phone here, 204-780-6868. Sherman's on the line wanting to talk about that intersection, Portage and Main. Hello, CJOB. Hi, how are you? Good. How are you today? Pretty good. Well, thanks. I just got three things about Portage and Main. I keep hearing this being compared to Times Square. Number one, I Googled Times Square. There's like 150 restaurants within three blocks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the second point is... In Vancouver and Montreal and Toronto and New York, people on a nice evening will go out for a walk downtown. People don't do that in Winnipeg. It's not a habit. We go to the Forks and we maybe go to Corden or something. Well, let me let me and, just stop you there. I'll let you get number three in, but let me stop you there. We have to form the habit. So if we don't have it open to pedestrian traffic, there will definitely be no pedestrian traffic. But if we open it up, and Sherman, you have to remember, maybe you live in the suburbs, but there are people living downtown, and there are more and more people living downtown, and they would walk across Portage and Maine. Yeah, but where are they going to walk to? the bank well there's restaurants downtown in the exchange district uh, there is stuff down there sherman okay yeah and, and anyhow other, your, your and point the, yeah and, and, and the third point is most people do not feel safe today downtown winnipeg and that's a fact we have to face Yep, I think you're right. A lot of people probably do not feel safe now. We could argue how much of that is perception and how much is reality, but you make some very good points. Thanks for the call, Sherman. No problem. Bye-bye. All right, 204-780-6868. Janet. Hello, Janet. What did you want to say? Yes. Okay, well, Jeff Berwati, I wish he was running for mayor. We don't know if he is or not, but... Uh, I would think that if they, if you've ever been to Las Vegas, they've got over, they've got pedestrian overpasses over all that traffic that goes through there every day. Yeah. And in several places, like when we've been there, you you walk over the overpass to get to the other side. You could stop in the middle, take a picture, whatever you want to do. I think myself that that would be a better way to go. You'd have your people crossing over, not interfering with traffic or anything. That's just what I. What I'm my, I, how I feel about that. Yep, and other people have suggested that, and we were actually talking about that earlier. You're right. You yeah, see that You and, see that uh, a lot in Vegas and other big cities in the States. Yeah. For sure. And to me, everybody's safe and everybody's happy. You don't uh, decrease the traffic volume or mm-hmm. the time, and the people can cross. And, you know, in our winter, I don't know if I really want to cross Portage and Maine. I could, I could just as soon go downstairs underneath the street and have all the shops and things that are there and get to the bank and stuff. All right. So, Thank you, Janet. Appreciate thank the call. You. Okay. And George. Yes, George. Hello. Hi. hi. Yeah, I, I think that they should build a huge windmill at Portage and Maine and have either. Oh, darn it. Or under the D- road George, and, hey, uh, George, do me a favor. You cut out after windmill. So you want to, <laughs> I got to hear this. You want to build a big windmill at Portage and Maine. Correct. They're supposed to be the windiest intersection in the world. So. Yep. Why not build a windmill, generate some hydro, charge up those buses, put a pedestrian walk above, below, wherever, and uh, make it a tourist attraction. And uh, everyone can spill over from the forks onto Portage Avenue and go watch the Jets or any other venue. In George for mayor. George for mayor. <laughs> <You're awesome. Yeah. laughs> Thank you, George. 
Okay, take care. Appreciate the call. All right, keep the calls coming. We got to get the news in here at three o'clock. Uh, Tristan Field Jones is back in the mix here in the afternoon. So TFJ will have your news, and then we'll continue uh, after. Uh, the news. We're going to get Diana Foxall in here. She, of course, is one of our global news reporters. We're going to get an update on uh, uh, Guido Amsel and uh, some other stuff coming up as well, uh, including Donna Friesen's interview with Justin Trudeau, our prime minister, and your text messages, uh, phone calls, and emails. So stick around. All right, Hal on CJOB. 780-6868 and reach that number if you want to chat with the one and only Hal Anderson. Thank you very much, TFJ. Great to have you back in the mix here in the afternoon. You heard in the news there that Guido Amsel, uh, well, is still waiting to be sentenced, but now, Global News reporter down at Foxhall, he needs lawyers again because he has fired his lawyers. Yes, and as the Crown Prosecutor said, this isn't the first time he's put himself in this predicament. Mm. Um, So where we're at right now, Guido Amsel was sentenced, or sorry, not sentenced, he was uh, convicted on four or five counts of attempted murder last month, May 17th. So Mm. now the process is sort of looking forward to the sentencing, Mm. and it's at a bit of a sticking point now that Amsel has fired his legal counsel. Right. He actually does want to appeal the verdict, which probably comes as no surprise to anyone who's followed the case, but f- he can't do that until he's been sentenced, and he can't be sentenced until he has lawyers. So yeah, things are kind of being held up because he's fired his lawyers, and, and they can't go ahead with sentencing. He doesn't have legal representation. They can't go ahead with the appeal. Uh, and he's having, from what we understand, a hard time finding a lawyer, or he's concerned about finding a lawyer. Yeah, so this is the second time he has discharged his legal counsel. I'm told the first time was last year, sort of September 2017. And it's going to be a bit of a difficult sort of couple weeks ahead as we expect to have an update on the status of his legal representation in early July. But right now he's trying to find a lawyer and he's not finding he's getting any one biting within Manitoba, given that two of the letter bombs he is convicted of sending were sent to law offices. So uh, he says people are saying it's a conflict of interest and he's having to get help from outside the province, which he's not having much luck with. So Judge Tracy Ward actually asked Amsel in court today if he had any other phone numbers than simply the legal aid number, and he said no. So He may be given more resources to that end, but right now he's not having a lot of luck. And the one thing the Crown doesn't want to see is they don't want to see these dates get pushed back. So there are a few dates in August and early September that were kind of earmarked for options for Amsel's sentencing. Mm -hmm. Now, if he doesn't find a lawyer before then, those obviously will have to be moved back. And the Crown doesn't want to keep pushing this back because the incidents happened the 2015 bombings are now almost three years ago. Yeah. They happened in July 2015. So they want to see a sentence decided upon Quickly. as soon as sure. possible. So if he finds legal re- representation, then we could be looking at uh, a sentence for him in August or September, which is two or three months out. But if not, it could get pushed even further back. That's the trouble. If mm. he doesn't find a lawyer in the next little while, who knows when those dates will be, because of course it has to work for the judge, it has to work for the crown, and right. it has to work for Everybody. Amsel's defense team. Yeah. So that's step one, just getting a new legal team, and then from there finding out when the sentencing is going to happen. Once he gets a sentence, he mm-hmm. says he will appeal he will the appeal. verdict. Um, he says he 
he he just called the verdict wrongful. That was the word he used. Um, and he says there was fabricated evidence. He's kind of maintaining that. Mm-hmm. That was one of the things he brought up in the trial. Right. So we'll see where that goes. But there are a number of things that hap- have to happen before then. All right. Global News reporter Diana Foxall, thank you very much. Guido Amsel has fired his lawyer, lawyers, and is now looking for new legal representation. And until and he says he's having a hard time finding it in the province, so he's now looking outside the province. And I guess until he gets legal representation, uh, he can't be sentenced, and he certainly uh, can't appeal his conviction. We'll keep you posted on the Guido Amsel case. A couple of uh, text messages here. Back to Portage in Maine. We're talking about Portage in Maine today. Could it be a, a big election issue? Uh, Jeff Barawati, Councillor Jeff Barawati, uh, wants more information. Why aren't we getting the information that we've requested? Meantime, it looks like the mayor is ready to uh, carry on, at least uh, gradually opening up uh, the intersection. Text message here, 204-780-6868. Hallie, worry about opening Portage in Maine. We already have huge lineups there. There is so much traffic. Don't see having people walk across it, not affecting it more. It was closed for a reason. Keep it closed. And here's another one, no names. By the way, if you're texting in, throw your name in there just for the heck of it because it's nice to know your name. Uh, another one, no name, but here's the message. Keep Portage and Maine closed. Stop wasting our tax dollars and time. People will get injured. Crossing and traffic will be slower. Stupidest idea ever. And joining us on the phone now to talk about Portage and Maine is Grace at 204 780 6868. Hello, CJOB. Oh, hi, Hal. How hi. are you? How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, in regards to Portage and Maine, uh, I can't believe that they're thinking of opening it. It just doesn't make sense. Yeah, a lot of people feel that way, but the mayor is bound and determined to open it up to pedestrians. But that's the mayor. Well, the mayor and some members of council, I guess we'll see uh, how much support he has, but I would suspect he probably has enough support to make it happen. Enough support from the people of Winnipeg or enough support from his councillors who will agree to what he wants? Right. Well, enough on council. Uh, You're right about the citizens of Winnipeg, but the citizens of Winnipeg did elect the mayor and those members of council, right? Yeah, that's true. And they did elect the mayor on the fact he was going to be transparent, but I don't think he's carried that out. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, I don't disagree with that last point. Yeah, no, I, I guess we'll see what happens with it, Grace. I know a lot of people feel the way you do. Yeah, like I mean, the thing is, there's so many other things that that need to be done in the city rather than something like this. You know, like mm. I, I just I just hope somebody runs against him that will uh, go against the opening of uh, Portage and Mean. It, it's just so sad, you know, when there's so many other things in the city that are needing done. Safety being the, the priority of the people downtown. Uh, you don't go downtown. And even to the stage this this year with the Winnipeg Jets, they didn't even go to Portage and Maine. It was beside the MTS Centre. Mm. So the same is, you know, like, I mean, to say all these things about Portage and Maine, you know, you can change things. Yeah. Like, like the 
old arena used to be away at the, the St. James, it's now downtown. Well, that's where it is. And so you can celebrate at different areas within the city. All right, Grace, thanks for the call. Okay, okay thanks. All right, uh, we're coming up on a break here. We've got a break for traffic, but we've got lots of calls. Burton, Mike, Cam, and the rest of you, hang on the phone, please, through a break here if you can, and we'll continue talking about Portage and Maine on the other side of weather and traffic, which is next on CJOB. All right, talking uh, Portage and Maine, 204-780-6868. Burton is on the phone. Hi, Burton. Hey, how you doing, Hal? Good. Excellent. What do you think of that intersection? Well, it is a little bit of a jam at all hours of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, but what they, what they say is build it and they will come. Yeah. So the thing is, let them build it. And it doesn't matter how much money it costs. And if it fails, we want our money back. But I, you know what? Good luck with it, that, it, by the way, Burton. <laughs> um. Yeah, no, uh, for sure. Like, you know, we would hit the map if we have it, and if it works, we'd hit the map even better. But if it doesn't work, it would be a laughing stock for Winnipeg. You know, I kind of go, extent. I'll be honest with you, I kind of go back and forth on, on Portage, Maine on this. I hear, yeah, you know, uh, but here's the thing. Everybody knows that intersection, right? As a famous intersection, Portage and Maine. Jam. And if somebody come, And if somebody comes to town now and they go, I want to check out Portage and Maine, they get there and it's like, Wah, wah, wah. Like yeah, it's I got to like, wait half hour to see it. Like disappointment, right? So, yeah. you know, just even based on that, maybe we should be doing something. I, I don't know. I don't know, Burton, maybe. but I got a, I got a ton of calls and hey, I got to get them in, pal. One more question. Yeah. Those engineers back in the 60s were smart and they said it won't work. So, mm-hmm. Well, I mean, things have changed. Uh, we'll see, I guess. Uh, some would say things have changed and we have ways to make it work now, but we'll see. Thanks, Burton. Appreciate the call. Mike, Portage in Maine, go. Good afternoon. I just like to know how much is it going to cost. I really don't care one way or the other. I never go down there. But I want to know, as a taxpayer for Winnipeg, what is it really going to cost? And yeah. do we have any obligations with Trizec for the structure underneath? Well, and, and the, the cost, I, I think you're right. What will it cost in the end? And I think people, I get the sense, Mike, you feel like the money's better spent elsewhere. And I hear that from a lot of people. The people that don't want this say, okay, yes, but maybe we should be spending the money elsewhere. I don't care where they spend the money. I just want to know what it costs. We built a police station downtown. It's almost $100 million over budget. Mm-hmm. I want to know what are the costs and what are the hidden costs? Like yeah. Trizac, we, we obviously we still have obligations to that. How are they going to mediate that? And if the mayor wants to do this, fine. Just say, this is what it's going to cost, and the people will either vote for them or won't. Yeah. But might, always, might be, it uh, seems to be so subversive. You mm, know what I mean? Yeah, might be easier said than done. But thanks for the call, Mike. I appreciate it. And one more quick call before we break here. Uh, we're going to check the forecast for you again. We'll have sports and news coming up here, and you're going to want to hear the sports because Matt Nichols went down at practice today. It doesn't look good. We'll get the latest from Bob Irving in Bomberland. But right now, Les on Portage and Maine. Hi, Les. Yeah, hi. Portage and Maine is a good foresight by the engineers because – Look what happened on Young Street in Toronto. They're building barricades. We still have sidewalks on Forage and Main. Yeah. But the, the pedestrians are well protected. We don't have to spend billions of dollars protecting the pedestrians from crazy people driving over them. 
Okay. Because the barriers are already yeah. there. We have to have more. Okay. Not uh, less. All right, Les. More barriers of Portage and Maine. More barriers. All right. More I heard barriers you. to protect the people yeah. on the sidewalk. Okay. Thank you very much, Les. We do have to break here, though. Sports news on the way. I'll check the forecast for you and the current temperature in just a sec.